Scripture tonight comes from three passages, the first in Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. Let's listen carefully, for these are not the words of man, but the words of God. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Again from Genesis 7, verses 22 and 23. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him on the ark. And the last passage is Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. Father, I am especially thankful for it right now because um, without it, I would be giving advice and that would only lead to death. And so with that thankfulness for your word, we ask that you would teach us now. That through your spirit, you would point us to truth, that you would put away all falsehood, that we would see you for who you are and that we would fear you that we would desire to walk with you, to love you, and to serve you. Teach us now how desperately we need Christ and how we might live lives of rejoicing because He is our treasure. We pray these things in His name and for His name around the world. Amen. While in the desert... um, Moses asked this question to the people of Israel. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I'm commanding you today for your good. He was calling for Israel to fear and walk with God, to love and to serve Him. It's important for us to remember the setting of Genesis. Uh, Coming into its its written form by Moses in the desert, um, these stories serve as lessons for the people of God. Uh, They are lessons to who God is, who this God 
that they are worshiping, that, that they have followed into the wilderness, that they went from Egypt into the wilderness, who are they going to worship? Who are they going to serve? Who is this Yahweh? These people wondered if they had made a mistake, if maybe they had followed this Moses for no reason. They're wondering about this God. And he uses these different stories, these different lessons about this Yahweh to teach them their history, God's history. This is Yahweh 101, these stories about God. And it's really easy for us to, in our own culture, our own setting, our own the way that we read things, uh, in, in, this, uh, in this way of just looking, how can I use this, this utilitarian reading of Scripture? Uh, give me what I need to do. And, and we, we forget that this is a book entirely written about who this God is that we serve. And so, I think it's important for us to position ourselves to, to hear this voice in the desert. Who is this God? And so, as we look at Noah for the next two weeks, we're going to be asking this question. Who is this God that we should fear Him? That we should walk with Him? That we should love and serve Him? So this week, part one of Who is This God, we are going to look at fearing Him and walking with Him. And I think that we see this call and this question from Deuteronomy 10 in the life of Noah. And so we begin with a story. These Hebrew uh, stories in Genesis, it it starts with this thing called a toledot, where, where it's this, these are the generations of. And we get that uh, ten times throughout Genesis. The first, the, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And then we get, these are the generations of Adam. And then we get to, these are the generations of Noah. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. Grieved him to his heart. I mean, such language from a man's perspective. It grieved God to his heart. That Hebrew could also be rendered as He was raged to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry, I regret that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So God decides that he is going to destroy the earth. He says that man is corrupting the earth with violence. And so as man is corrupting, as man is destroying, he will destroy. 
He will corrupt what He has created. I will destroy them with the earth. I mean, verse 5 especially, just what a horrible, horrible picture of man's heart. We get these two hearts, God's heart and man's heart. Man's heart is set on evil continually, and only evil. In fact, the intentions or the imagination, the constructions of the heart of man, only evil. And God's heart, grieved and enraged because of man. And so he will destroy. But this Noah found favor. Look at verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. God gives him these details. How to build the ark. 450 feet long, 45 feet tall, and 70 feet wide. That's uh, 100 feet longer than the football field, about half as wide. He tells him exactly what to do. And then the Lord commands that a few, a remnant, would enter in. And, And he gives these particulars. It would be Noah and his family only. And then it begins to rain. Look at verse 15 of chapter 7. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. On the face of the waters, similar to the Spirit, as we read about in chapter 1. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Look to verse 22. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of of the ground, man and animals and creeping things, and the birds of heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And so the question, who is this God that we should fear him, that we should walk with him? Now, with fear, we have to know that, kind of from the onset, that fear is not terror and anxiety. Not that we should be scared of God, but that we would have a reverent awe. What Hebrews calls the the, the reverent fear of the Lord, that we would fear Him like that. Not just that we would be scared of Him like a snake or a spider or, or something like that, loud thunder, but that we would fear Him with reverent awe. So why? In the story of Noah, why should we fear the Lord? And the first thing 
that we learn is that we should fear Him because He is righteous. The heart of man. We sin against God. He is the rightful judge. We are judged in accordance to His righteousness, not some morality that we can just agree upon, a social norm of proper behavior. Measured against God Himself and His righteousness, God confirms judgment upon the people. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God saw how violent and evil man was, every intention constantly evil. And so we are measured against his righteousness, and that righteousness and that judgment that is proper to Him, positions us to see that He is rightly to be feared. He is the righteous judge as Creator. And He saw the heart of man. And He executes judgment. Who judges the heart of man? Who can judge the actions of man? God alone. And He does so in accordance with His righteousness. But when a storm comes and waters rise and everything that is on earth that is alive dies, why not be terrified? I mean, we use this as this children's story, you know, because there are animals, you know, which is kind of an odd criteria for children's stories. There's an animal there, let's go with it. Um, but it's a terrifying story. I mean, even in looking at preparing for two weeks on Noah, I mean, part one is misery. There's a whole lot of bad news before good news. So why not? Why isn't this terror of God justified? And really, we have to peek a little bit into next week. We have to peek because in 1 John chapter 4, we get this call that, that there isn't any fear in love. That perfect love casts out fear. But how is this possible? John goes on to say, well, fear has to do with punishment. And that's what these people, Noah's contemporaries, that's what they're facing is Judgment. And that's rightful terror. But why isn't the call for us to fear God like that? And it has to do with another place where God's wrath is displayed. In fact, a place where it is, is displayed even more fully than floodwaters. Where women and children and men were drowned. And that is the cross. You see, the goal of this entire Noah story is, is quite simple. It's that you would see how desperate you are for Christ. See, terror would be a, a correct response outside of the cross. Because it is this wrath, this wrath that brings the floodwaters. And that, you know, if you, if you notice in the reading, it's not like when we study Jonah and God says, I'm going to destroy in seven days 
go tell the people to repent. It's, I'm going to destroy the earth in seven days. Build a boat. You and your family only. And that's why when Jesus is referencing the story in Matthew and in Luke, He says the day of the coming of the Son of Man will be like in the days of Noah, where they were marrying and being given into marriage, and they were eating and they were drinking. And then it began to rain. God says of His judgment, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. The Hebrew for blot out um, in a later passage has this, this image of a plate being turned upside down over the trash and wiped clean. Now later, we see that same language come up in the New Testament to, to speak of our sin. And so God is saying He will wipe out man from the face of the earth. He is going to purge and cleanse the earth of the wickedness of man. Not only because He is Creator and can do as He pleases, but because He is righteous. And this brings us to the next reason, this next attribute of God that informs us as to why we should fear God. And that is because He is sovereign. The Lord has decided to blot out man and animals from the earth, but how? The Lord, through His sovereignty over His own creation, causes a flood of water upon the earth. At His appointment, He causes the waters to rise. Now, we can miss the magnitude of this. It can be lost on us, but just think about the precise words here. Water. Responding to God's bidding. And all the waters of the earth rise at the call of the Lord. Verse 17 of chapter 6. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. God causes the waters to rise and drown people, men, women, and children. Now Noah and his family have been called to build a boat and to prepare for the singular instance of salvation offered in this terrifying event. God has extended salvation to Noah and his family only. In a children's book uh, on Noah and the ark that I had as a a kid, um, Noah went around begging all of his neighbors to get in the boat. And they rejected him. You know, it was one of those, he believes in God, and and then, you know, you read the story as a kid, and you're like, that's right. Sometimes you're persecuted for your faith in God, just like Noah. But that whole scene of running and trying to get people into the boat, that doesn't happen. God's salvation was set on Noah and his family only. Peter emphasizes eight only were saved. And a this piece of fiction um, that's a kind of dramatization of, of the Noah story by uh, Chris Skates and Dan Tankersley. 
Um, the story opens with this dreadful, horrific scene. Uh, the rain has begun. The family is inside the boat. God himself, Yahweh, closes the door to the ark. And Japheth, son of Noah, is consoling his wife as she hears her mother screaming and clawing at the boat. She is covering her ears. And even the rain, the the pounding rain, cannot cover up the cries outside the boat. And Japheth says, I've tried to convince myself that once the rain stops and the water goes away, that everyone will still be alive and they will have repented. But Dad never said that would happen. I mean, this is a terrifying scene. And this is a story to tell us who this God is. When Noah was born, his father, Lemek, named him a Hebrew name that would have brought about this image, this connotation of rest and comfort. He had this hope for him. His father declared his desire that Noah would bring comfort to humankind as they were suffering under the curse of the fall. As you go through the genealogy, it lists somebody out and then it says, and then he died. And somebody else, and then he died. And that refrain of then he died just kept acknowledging the reality of the curse, the reality of the fall. And Lemek had this idea that his son might bring relief. This is not what his father had hoped for. But Noah and his family had been faithful. As God commanded them to work on the ark, all those specifications of how to build it, gathering the animals, gathering food, Noah was obedient. And that brings us to the next question. Who is this God that we should walk with Him? In verse 9, where it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. Noah is described as walking with or going with God. Walking with God meant following His commands. The obedient life to God. The only way that walking with God would be in any way reasonable would be if God was supreme in His commands. If He was perfect. So why should we walk with Him? Because He is supreme. The supremacy of this Yahweh. And this is Moses' lesson for the people in the desert and for us. Noah was obedient to God because God is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our obedience because He is supreme in His commands. What He is calling forth, how the boat was to be built, was perfect and supreme. You know, the, the Gilgamesh uh, epic and all of that, and there are a number of Mesopotamian uh, mythology about a flood that came. And one of them talks about a boat that is built 100 by 50 feet by 150 feet by 150 feet. That's called a cube, a box 
probably wouldn't fare too well, especially with the animals. Uh, but this, this reality that God's call and command was perfect. I mean, what does that mean for our obedience to this God? All that God commanded Noah was to be obeyed. They were not suggestions for a better living, suggestions for better leadership, for better integrity, for better business savvy. These are not just principles that better us for our good or the good of our community. This is God's perfect and supreme command. He is supremely worthy of our obedience. He was supreme to give this judgment. His decision to wipe out, to blot out the life that he had created. He was supreme to do that. If he had commanded Noah to build an ark to bring salvation to him and his family, God was supreme to do that. He could extend salvation or withhold it. This tells us who this God is. Is. There is no one higher to whom we are accountable. There is no one higher who has authority over creation. There is no one higher who executes judgment over man. There is no one higher who is worthy of our obedience. This Yahweh is supreme in all things. We must go with Him. We must walk with Him. So who is this God that we should fear Him? And that we should walk with Him. He is the righteous one who judges the wicked hearts of man. He is the sovereign one to whom all creation yields. And He is the supreme one who calls us by His commands to walk with Him. Surely in the darkness, the shadowy darkness of the ark, as 370 days go by, Noah reminded his family time and time again who this God is. And as the sounds of the rain and the prevailing water rushed in on them, the existence of the ark itself testified to the character of this God. In the midst of all the rain, in all the flood, there was a boat, a singular place where God's sovereignty, righteousness, supremacy is displayed in the salvation of a few. But is this the God that we confess? Is this righteous, sovereign, and supreme God your God? This is not the God of constant blessing with no regard for righteousness. This is not the God of mere morality and social justice. This is not the God of mere duty and Sunday lip service. No, this is the Holy One of Scripture. Just like the people in the desert must have be instructed and reminded who this God is that we serve. We cannot retreat in our own ideas of what we think God should be like. We quite plainly must go to His Word 
and submit our wishful thinking to the reality of his character. And yes, perhaps for a time, we might not like it. I say for a time because the reality of who God is sometimes can be offensive to our twisted and sinful minds and hearts. We might not like His righteousness. We might not like His sovereignty. We might not like His supremacy. We might not like that He brings floodwaters and that He builds an ark and chooses a remnant. We might not like it. But we cannot go along any further with our imaginary God. We must desire to fear and walk with the God of the Scriptures, the one who judged the heart of man and brought the waters to rise. Chapter 7, verse 22. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animal and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Let's pray. God, it is a truly tense place where you leave us um, to think about your righteousness and your supremacy and your sovereignty. And and Lord, I, I ask that you would give us hungry hearts that we would go through the, the pains of this story, that we might see the cross and the grace that you have given us in a, a new light. That if we see our sinfulness as you see sinfulness, that we would see the work of Christ so much more valuable than we ever thought. Not simply a moral teacher to be respected, nor a religion that yields some good or some kind of benefit, but that we would see salvation in Christ. And just as we see those who were with Noah were saved, that we might be with Christ. Teach us to fear you with a reverence that acknowledges who you really are. And teach us to walk with you, that your commands are supreme and true. You do not call us to mere morality, but to walk with you, our living God. You do not just call us to better behavior, you call us to life. 
teach us how desperately we need the gospel of Jesus. Amen.